Hello everyone, good morning. We uh, continue this week studying Parshas Kisavo, page 1068 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. As always, we'll do our overview of the Parsha and then delve into specific psukim together. Um, reminder, if anyone wants to ever sponsor the Parsha class in loving memory and honor, you can uh, contact the shul office and do so, and uh, we appreciate your support. Parshas Kisavo. Begins with the mitzvah of famously of Bikurim, Vayaki When you come into the land and you inhabit the Yerashtaba, you take Merishis Kopriha Adama, the first of your fruit. Chazal pick up on this word. Rashis is the first of your fruit. The Jewish people are Nikar Rashis, the Jewish people are called the first. Eretz Yisrael is Nikar Rashis, the, the land of Israel is the first. And there's an idea here of the combination of all three. We take our first fruit and we bring it to the chosen place. If you remember when Rabbi Menachem Libtag was here earlier this year, he talked about how Yerushalayim is not identified in Chumash by name, but rather by designation, by its purpose. It is the place where Hashem will intensely dwell. And he kind of hangs it out there to figure out where it is. But here we see an explicit reference. You come to the Kohen. And the basket of the first fruit and is all pomp and circumstance and a wonderful ceremony, including a recitation, the Mikra Bikurim, you review Jewish history. Because I think the message is, when you see God's guiding hand through Jewish history, you realize that God's guiding hand is also behind that first fig. He's behind that little fruit. He's behind that little growth that you are celebrating, that you're inaugurating, that you're building, bringing to the Kohen, to the Beis HaMikdash. The miracle of that little fig in your life is no less significant than the miracle of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, of anti-Semitism and oppression, and yet our stubborn perseverance, that Hashem's guiding hand is behind everything in our lives, from the unfolding of history to nature. These are the two themes of Psuke de Zimra. Why were those mizmorim, why were these chapters chosen every morning to wake us up, to get us ready, to put us into the proper mindset, to stand before the Yerbon Shalom, the Almighty, in prayer? The themes of Psuke de Zimra are God's guiding hand in history, particularly Jewish history, and God's guiding hand in nature. Both overlap. Historians will tell you there are laws of history. There are certain rules that apply normally in history. For example... When a larger nation swallows up and conquers a smaller one, the smaller one is absorbed into the larger nation. They adopt their language, their culture, their laws, their lifestyle. Who is an exception? Jewish people. Since the exile, since we were sent out of the Beis HaMikdash Eretz Yisrael, dispersed across the world, swallowed up by larger nations, we've maintained our language, our culture, our laws, our lifestyle, what on Isha Torah, I think Rabbi Mati Berger, has the seven wonders of Jewish history. Jewish history has seven ways that it defies the normal laws of history. So just like we have laws of nature, if you let go of something, gravity makes it fall to the ground. Laws of nature, somehow about the eco-cycles and hurricanes and the hurricane highway, which we find ourselves right in the middle lane, in the fast lane. So just like there are laws of nature, there are laws of history, and God has interfered with history on behalf of the Jewish people, and God can or does interfere with nature and manipulate nature. Zemachlokas Rambam and Ramban we've studied in the past, whether there is even such a thing as nature. For the Rambam, there's a natural world and a natural order. True, God set the laws of nature in motion 6,000 years ago when He created the world. 
But then there are laws of nature which the Rebbeinu Shalom has to suspend or interfere with. Whereas the Rambam writes explicitly, there's no such thing as nature. Everything is Hashem. What looks like it's natural is a direct will and hand of the Almighty. There's not some other independent system called nature. Machlok is Rambam and Rambam. But these two themes go hand in hand. God in nature, providence in, in uh, nature, and providence in history. And perhaps what the Torah is telling us is that when the farmer collects his little fruit, his first fruit, after toiling and working the land and harvesting that first fruit, which he wants to bring to his own table and enjoy, finally bask in all of his hard work, instead he brings it to Yushalayim, to the Kohen, to this whole ceremony. And what does he recite? This whole Mikra Bikurim. Hashem, well, even going back, going all the way back, what we say on Pesach. I had a persecutor, the wicked, love unpersecuted, my father Yaakov. And we lived there and we grew to be a great nation. And the Egyptians tortured us and we cried out to God and God heard our cries. And He liberated us from the hand of Egypt with an outstretched... And He took us to this place and He gave us this great land. And now in this great land, I've produced this fig and here coin with music and a parade and pomp and circumstance. In this incredible backdrop, I now present to you my fig. What does all Jewish history have to do with the fig? Unless you see the two as going together. That no less is it the guiding hand of the Ribbon Shalom. How many people plant and don't produce a fig? You got a fig that is the equivalent of a Kaddish Baruch Hu saving us from Mitzrayim. The, one of the expanded Mizmorim we say on Shabbos morning, Pesukei De Zimra, that we don't have time for during the week, is what Chazal called the Halal Hagadol. The two columns, Kili Olam Chasto, Kili Olam Chasto is the same refrain over and over again, the chorus, and all the things. What are the themes of Hodul Hashem Kitov? If you go through it, what are the themes? You won't be surprised to learn that the themes are, what do we just say? The themes are history and nature. First you have nature. First you have nature. Sun, the moon, the constellations, the eclipse. First you have God in the hand of nature. And then... We conquer the land. And what is the great climax? What is the culmination of Halal God, you created this magnificent world. And then God, you guided us in it through history. And how does it culminate? No saying lechem basar olam Wow, God. When I go to Publix, there's bread on the shelf. Wow. Are you kidding me? Sun, the moon, the constellations, the eclipse. Ten plagues, splitting of a sea, inheriting a land. Oh, and also, when I put flour and water in my bread maker, I get challah. It's kind of anticlimactic. It's a bizarre ending unless you understand that what David HaMelech is telling us is, when I put flour and water in my bread maker and it produces a delicious challah that is no less miraculous than the sun, the moon, the splitting of the sea, that 
what is the difference between what we call natural and supernatural? There's only one difference. Our expectation of it. Nature, we've come to expect. There are rules. Supernatural defies our expectation. But really the natural is no less miraculous than the supernatural. It's just our expectation. And that's what David HaMelech had every Shabbos morning. No saying, Lechem l'chol basar. Ah, gishmak. A delicious challah. It worked out. Wow, I went to the supermarket. There was bread. That's a miracle. What's the difference between the man that fell from Shemayim or the bread that grows from the land? Is there any difference? There's one difference. Our expectation. I expect bread to grow out of the ground. Not bread. Uh, grain. Wheat to grow out of the ground. I don't expect it to fall from the heavens. That doesn't mean that when it grows from the ground, it's any less miraculous than when it falls from the heavens. So perhaps that's the Mikra Bikurim. The farmer brings his first fruit. And the reason he recalls history is to see Hashem's hand in, in both. We continue. After the uh, first fruit, we get to the Vidoy Meiser, which is the section we're going to study together. The farmer has this confession. It's a bizarre word, confession. It's a very unusual confession. We'll see in a moment. And then we have this renewal of the relationship of God and the Jewish people. I'm in the middle of page 1070. Today, Hayom Hazeh. It's a theme we see in Sefer Dvarim over and over. Moshe is banging into them. Hayom Hazeh. Today. Live today in the moment. Don't be stuck in the past and don't be lost in the future and therefore forfeit the present. The present is a gift from Hashem. That's why it's called the present. Embrace the present, Hayom, and every day to see it anew, over and over. We have a mitzvah, an obligation, what we call halachta chazal, so as, this is the few Latin words every Jew knows, imitatio dei, to imitate God, to walk in His ways, which chazal interpret to mean, God is kind and merciful, you have to be kind and merciful, God clothes the naked, you have to clothe the naked. God visits the sick, you visit the sick. God comforts the mourner, you comfort the mourner. To be godly and godlike. The greatest way to serve God. What is the greatest form of flattery? Imitation. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. You want to flatter, you want to praise the Rebona Shalom? Then emulate Him, be like Him. How do you know what God is like? If you can't hear Him, see Him. We have His Torah, He gave us His diary. We study it and we see His essence. Torah is the blueprint of Hashem's essence. And Chazal brings psukim for each of these things. Hashem was Mavakir Cholem, Menachem Avelim, Emal Bisharumim. And so we too. But if you want to flatter God, if you want to praise God, the highest form of flattery is imitation. God told us, Lios La'am Segula. I'm not going to review this. I have a... One of the previous Parsha Shirim online was all about this. God told us, God said, I want you to be for me a nation that is a skula. How does article translate it? A treasured people. What does it mean in this context? A segula? If you tie a red bendel around your house, will the hurricane hit your neighbor instead of you? Yeah, if you tie a red bendel, will the hurricane go out to sea? Is that what it means? Be a nation who is a skula. Of course not. What does it mean to be a nation who's a skula? Not a superstitious nation. We just finished reading how Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, Egypt, was a culture saturated in superstition and magic. It is exactly what God took us out of. He extracted us from. 
We just read, Tamim Tiyam Hashem Elokecha. Be pure. Tamim, be tmimistik. Rely and lean only on Hashem. Tamim Tiyam Hashem Elokecha. What does it mean to be an Am Segula? What are the next words? Vilishmor kol mitzvosav. You know what it means to be a skula people? It means to be a people who observe all the skulos. What are all the skulos? Saying pitamak Torah from a cloth and tying a red bendel and not stepping over your little brother and never pouring backwards. And... No. What are all the skulos? The Pasuk says it explicitly. Lios lo leskula, laam segula, vilishmor kol mitzvosav. We have 613 skulos. We have 613 skulos. They're called... They're called... Mitzvos. Do the mitzvos. That's how you become an amsegula. Again, we spoke about that online. The next section is the new commitment, the new covenant we form with Hashem. Hashem tells us that when we come into the land of Israel, we're going to experience another miracle. What happens with the Jordan River, the Yardane? Splits. Not like the Yamsuf. The Yamsuf split into two, at least two. In fact, the Medr- excuse me, the Medrash says that there were 12 lanes. It split into many. Each shevet walked its own lane. But minimally, the Yamsuf split into two. The Yardane, how many walls? One wall. The water all rises to form one wall, dry land for the Jewish people to cross over. And what are we told to place into that dry land? And so on. You're supposed to engrave on stones the Torah when you cross through the Yardane, and it will sit there, and it will be a perpetual testament and testimony to our relationship with Hashem. The Torah is written on these avanim shleimos tivne. I'm sorry, that's for the Mizbeach afterwards. But the Torah is written on these large stones, written in 70 languages. The al says, why do you do this? So that when everyone enters the land, beginning with you, the Jewish people, in the conquest, and then every tourist and visitor afterwards, what will they see? These are miraculous stones. How can you engrave on stones the Torah in 70 languages? It's impossible. And yet, this miracle, this supernatural, they'll realize they're not entering any ordinary country. And they're not encountering any ordinary people. That's the Ashik. The Abarbanel is a different beautiful... I probably shared this before. The Abarbanel, this is, I love the imagery. The Abarbanel says, these stones are to Eretz Yisrael what a mezuzah is to a house. Before you enter the house, there's a mezuzah on the door. Before you enter the land of Israel, this is the mezuzah on the doorway of the land of Israel, the stones with the words of Torah on them. You encounter the mezuzah, you kiss the mezuzah, you embrace and invoke the values of the mezuzah that as you enter the house and as you exit the house, it's the mezuzah that guides our lifestyle, our behavior, our thoughts, our actions and deeds. So too, Eretz Yisrael, this is the mezuzah before entering and exiting Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi, yes? The Shomer Onim, their mezuzah, is around the door. Around the whole door. Around the whole Interesting. door. Interesting. I just bought a new mezuzah this summer when I was in Israel. It's made of Jerusalem stone and it's, it's on an angle. It's like a triangle. You hang it on the door so when you walk in, it says, Baruch Atah and when you leave, it says, Baruch Atah I like that mezuzah. I got excited about that. That was my gift to myself. And I convinced Shechevet it was for her. Um, the Torah continues. The parsha continues now with the brachas and klolos, har grizim and har eval. Once we do enter the land, you remember Moshe's monologue. This is Moshe's charge to the Jewish people in the last days of his life. We're about, they're about to enter the land. 
He says six tribes on the top of this mountain, six tribes on the top of the other mountain. The elders of the Levium stand in between. They read out these brachas and klalos, and the people answer amen, acknowledging that they have heard and that they are committed to these brachas and klalos. We've studied this as well in the past, what each of these brachas and klalos mean. Um, Pasuk Chavav, page 1074. Cursed is the one who doesn't uphold the Torah. The Ramban, the famous Ramban in this Pasuk, describes one option is that it's referring to Hagba. Asher lo yakim as divrei Torah, who holds up the Torah. But the Ramban quotes a tradition that we have. Very powerful. This is part of the fundamental values of the BRS, of the Bokraton Synagogue. The Ramban says, what does this Pasuk mean? If you have the ability to inspire another Jew in Torah, and you forfeit that ability... You don't take advantage of it, you're cursed. So someone bagels you in publix, right? You're, you're at the checkout line, and someone's emptying their carriage, and they say, Oy vey, this hurricane is coming. Why are they saying, Oy vey? They want you to know they're Jewish. They're begging you to invite them for a Shabbos meal. They're begging you to ask them what they're doing for Rosh Hashanah. They're begging you to engage them. They see you're an observant Jew, and they're what's called bageling you. So I would have thought, if you say, yeah, Make sure to stock up on water. And you pay for your groceries and leave. Okay, you don't get the outreach award at the shul dinner. But you're not a bad person. You just didn't... Uh, you didn't... You're walking through the mall and someone covered in tattoos from Israeli says Shabbat Shalom to you on a Thursday or Friday. You say Shabbat Shalom and you keep walking. Okay, you don't get an award. You don't get Mafti Yona, but you're not a terrible person. Says the Ramban, no. You have the opportunity to inspire Torah. You could learn with someone, you can invite someone, you can uplift someone, you can enrich someone, and you neglect the chance. Error. You're cursed. Very daunting, very daunting description. Parsha then continues with the tochacha. First we have the brachos, and then the tochacha, the harsh, devastating description of what happens. First we add it in Bechukosai, this is the second tochacha. First was in Hashem's words. This is the tochacha through Moshe's mouth. The tochachas differ also, Lashon Rabbim, Lashon Yachid, in the plural and in the singular. This is the source of the concept of Arvus. The reason that we now receive the tochacha in this way, we are guarantors, we are responsible, one for another, as we're facing this potential hurricane. We're going to identify all the people who need help, shuttering their home, making sure they have a generator for their medicine, we have elderly, infirm, people who live alone. Why? When the rest of the world does that, it's just a nice thing. It's a generous, magnanimous thing. It's a wonderful thing. When we Jewish people do it, we have a legal responsibility to do it. We have a legal obligation to take care of one another. And I love to quote, it's said in the name of different Hasidic Rebbes, but I think uh, the Rebbe Rebbe Melech of Luzhinsk, who just had his kever this summer, the Rebbe Belimelech said, What is the Lashon Ko Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh? Is Arevim means a guarantor. If you go to a bank in Israel, you want to take out a loan, they'll ask you, Do you have an Arev? Do you have a guarantor? A co signer? We can go to them to collect if you don't. But another uh, translation of Arev is from Shirashirim. Pasuk in Shirashirim says, Ki kolech Arev umarech naveh. Your voice is Arev. Sweet. So the Rebbe Rebbe says, Ko Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh means the Jewish people have a responsibility to sweeten one another's life. We think that we have a responsibility to give each other grief and misery. That's just a chumrah. The real halacha, I'm just joking. The real halacha 
We're responsible to sweeten one another's lives. Not just to be the guarantors for one another, but to sweeten one another's lives. The first Tochacha the Ramban says is referring to the destruction. It's foreshadowing the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. The second Tochacha is foreshadowing the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. And if Shechter lo- loves to quote that we have sources that say that when we will return to the land for a third time, that's when it will be permanent. We can't take anything for granted. We've seen with the Gush Katif withdrawal and others that not anything's possible in Eretz Yisrael. We can never take anything for granted. But Rosh Hashanah quotes that we have a tradition based on the fact that there's only two Tochachas that when we return for the third time, it will be, be the beginning of the process of receiving the third and permanent Beis HaMikdash, the Geula for which we all yearn so desperately. Um, brachas and Klalos at length. And then the parsha ends with Moshe's final, final message, final lesson, final charge to the Jewish people that Hashem gave you a lev ladaas veinayim leroz vaznayim leshmoa. Ar hayom hazehayom. Again, the word, the theme, Sesame Street, Dvar, Sefer Dvarim is brought to you by the word hayom. Over and over again, today, 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 that God gave you lev ladaas, a knowing heart, which is a funny expression. We've studied it in the past. Again, all the things that I referenced, we've studied in the past. You can listen to four or five previous Parsha Shiram online on Yu Torah. So lev ladaas is a funny expression. I would think... You've been given a head to know and a heart to feel. You've been given a heart to know. Isn't it mixed metaphors? Isn't it a mixed expression? You should be given a brain to know and a heart to feel. But here, Moshe tells us, we've been given a lev ladas, a knowing heart. Eyes to see, ears to hear. And so on. That God walked with us 40 years in the desert and we were had all of the great benefits and luxuries. And then the parsha ends, You know why? Embrace God's magnificent Torah. Why? So you can become a masculine. Now, over the last couple hundred years, that's a very derogatory term. You don't want to be a masculine. A masculine is the enlightened person. Enlightenment. Masculine literally translates to like the root of maskil, of taskilu, is seichel, a thinking person. Do you have any seichel? Where's your seichel? Leman taskilu, David Amelach, those who say v'yitein lecha on Motzei Shabbos. It says uh, maskil, that we yearn, the bracha, the blood, to be a maskil. Be a maskil, as, as I said, is derogatory in terms of the enlightenment, those who shed the yoke of Torah and mitzvot. But in the Torah, it's formulated as a positive. Leman taskilu. What does it mean, taskilu? So that you will succeed in all that you do. How do you succeed in all that you do if Laman taskilu? Look at the Targum. It says the Targum, V'titrun ya pizgame kaim mahada v'tabdun ya som bedil, t'titzlechun ya kol di tabdun. Titzlechun, hatzlacha. You'll have hatzlacha in all that you do. How do you gain hatzlacha in all that you do if you are a maskil? We've spent time on this in the past as well. What does it mean to be a maskil? This was our Shabbat Shuvah of last year. It means to be mindful, mindfulness. Laman Taskilu is the Torah source, the Makor in the Torah for a life of mindfulness. Mindful eating, mindful speaking, mindful meditation, mindfully tie your shoes, mindfully come out of the bathroom and appreciate the miracle that just took place. Mindfully, to be mindful in all that we do. Torah and mitzvahs are designed as a platform for mindfulness. From the moment the Jew opens his or her eyes in the morning to the Jew closes his or her eyes at night, 
all of Torah and mitzvahs are there to reinforce a lifestyle of mindfulness. What order did you tie your shoes? How did you get dressed? Do you make a bracha acknowledging each of those wonderful things? Are you thinking about what you put food in your mouth? Are you thinking about the words that come out of your mouth? All of Torah and mitzvahs are there in order to help us be mindful in all that we do. And Uncle says, when you lead a life of mindfulness, Laman Taskilu, then you will lead a life of Hatzlacha. That's a successful life to be mindful in everything you do. Okay, let's go back and look at the psukim that we're going to analyze today. You can find them on the last word on page 1068, 1068 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, Perak Chav Vav, Pasuk Yud Beis. Let's go back to Pasuk Yud Aleph for one moment. Pasuk Yud Aleph is the end of the Mikra Bikurim. First, the farmer brings his first fruit, and so on. The farmer brings his fruit. There's a mitzvah to be happy, which is also one of the themes of our parsha. the mitzvah to be happy. In the Tochacha it says, why? why are these horrific results, why are these harsh consequences visited upon you? Why? You so much to be happy about. And you weren't happy. Happiness is a decision. Happiness is not an emotion. Happiness is a decision, it's not an emotion. So the farmer comes with his basket, presents it to the Kohen, and the Torah says you have an obligation when you present that basket of fruit to be happy. How can you obligate an emotion? The answer is it's not an emotion. It's a decision. When you focus on what you have, you're happy. When your happiness is determined by what you don't have, you can never be happy because there's always more that you could have. Rav Gifter has a magnificent insight. Rav Gifter says there's no mitzvah to be happy when you... Observe Shabbos, keep kosher, take Lulav and Esrog. Why is there a mitzvah to be happy? Dafka with Bikurim, not with these other things. Says Rav Gifter Zatzal, a beautiful insight. You know why? The farmer gets to Yushalayim and he's all proud of his first fruit in his basket. But then he looks over at the farmer next to him. Wow, his basket is overflowing. His produce is twice as large, succulent, juicy, delicious. His bounty is so much greater. And now the farmer who harvested his land, the farmer, sorry, who plowed and planted and watered and harvested and schlepped the first fruit and came to Yushalayim so proud with a smile on his face, looks over at the other basket. All of a sudden his smile turns to a frown. He feels pathetic, inadequate, resentful, angry, miserable. What? I thought, look at his basket. Rav Kifter says, it's Afka, this mitzvah that the Torah says, v'samachta b'cholatov, that you have to feel a sense of simcha. Look what's in your basket. Don't compare it to the basket next to you. Be grateful for what's in your basket because that's what you needed. The Archaim HaKadosh says, and there's a few interpretations. Some Rishonim say, V'samachta is because this mitzvah is where? Kisavo al ha'aretz. This is the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael. It's the first fruit in that first land of Israel. That's V'samachta. That's where the joy comes from. True Eretz Yisrael, nicknames be Yisurin. It's very difficult to acquire Israel. Those who made Aliyah before Nefesh Benefesh will tell you how difficult it was. And even those heroically who do it today will tell you, as easy as it's become, it's still not easy at all. And nevertheless, with Samachta, the joy and the happiness that you can find. But the Orachayim HaKadosh has a different interpretation. Says the Orachayim HaKadosh, Gam Yirmoz B'maymer B'chol HaTov El HaTorah. What does it mean with Samachta B'chol HaTov? The farmer with his fruit, Yushalayim, with the Kohen. What is he thinking about? 
he should be joyous. Why? Because of all the good. What's the good? Rav Gifter said, it's what's in your basket. Don't look in anyone else's basket. The good is in your basket. But says the Arachayim, now what's the tov? The tov is, ain't tov ela? Torah. Gemara brachos dafhei. Ain't tov ela Torah. If Jews, if the Jewish people would feel, if we would mamish feel the sweetness, va'arevus, mesikas va'arevus. You see the word arev again is being used. Bless you. The word arev is being used again as sweet. If you would sense the sweetness, how delicious Torah is. You wouldn't pursue money and material possessions. All you, would, all you would thirst for is Torah. If you felt the sweetness, if you understood its immeasurable value, all you would pursue and chase, all you would care about and accumulate is Torah. Bless you. Be joyous, be happy. Where does the simcha derive from? Bechol hatov. Ein tov ela Torah. Taste the sweetness of Torah. The Archaim as well, a little bit later, Pasuk Yitzayin, when it talks about the relationship of God and the Jewish people, it says, Says the Archaim again, what does it mean, How do you hear God's voice? Anyone here ever hear God's voice? We would make an appointment for you if you heard God's voice. We'd be very concerned about you if you tell us that you heard God's voice. Have you ever heard God's voice? L'shmoa b'kolo, zakta arachayim akadosh, l'shmoa b'kolo, zeh, Talmud Torah. Yeah, you absolutely heard his voice. You know when you heard his voice? Right now. You're reading his chumash. You're listening to the mafarshim. You learn the daf. You go to the shir. Then you're being l'shmoa b'kolo. What does it mean to hear his voice? And so on. If you say, well, the whole purpose of Torah is to know what to do. I know what to do. I have a great Jewish education. I know how to keep Shabbos and kosher. I know what to do. I'm already 80 years old. I'm 100 years old. What do I have to keep learning Torah for? I've already reached that age. What do I have to keep learning for? Says the Archaim, because you're not just learning to know what to do. You're learning to hear Hashem's voice. L'shmoa b'kolo. Every time we sit down to learn, we're back at Har Sinai. We're back hearing Hashem's voice again. We're on a journey through Jewish history. We're transcending our place. L'shmoa b'kolo. Rabbi Salavechik, some quote from Rav Kook, said that when you daven, we're talking to Hashem. And when we learn Torah, Hashem is talking to us. When we daven, we're talking to Hashem. When we're learning His Torah, Hashem is talking to us. Lushma b'kolo, says the Arachayim, that's Talmud Torah. Zet Talmud Torah. Mitzvah Talmud Torah, mitzvah with ne'atzma she'en zman lipata mimena ad yom moso. You're never done. You never do check. Every day, lulav and esrog, lulav and esrog. Rosh I heard the shofar, check. Shofar. Put on my tefillin, check. I put on my tefillin. Talmud Torah, you can never put a check in the box next to Talmud Torah. You're never done. What are you going to say to Hashem? I'm going to tell my wife. You've used your quote of talking to me today. We're done. Talk to me tomorrow. We're done for today. Check. I'm done. I don't have to listen to your voice anymore. That's not a relationship. There are marriages where they say that and they usually you know, end up in someone's office. 
A relationship says, I, I'm never done. I could listen to your voice all day long. I could talk to you all day long. The Shema Bekolo, we want to hear Hashem's voice. Never a check next to Hashem's, Hashem's voice. Zet Talmud Torah. So one of the other themes for the Orachayim HaKadosh, V'samachta Bechol HaTov, Ein Tov El HaTorah. And what does it mean? The Shema Bekolo, Zet Talmud Torah. Learning Torah, learning Torah, learning Torah. It's transformative. He said it's side of time. We literally experience and we hear Hashem's voice when we are learning His Gishmaka Torah. Okay. Perech Avav, Pasuk Yidbez. You ready? Here we go. Ki sechalal ha'aser as kol ma'aser tuvascha b'shana sh'tishish nas ha'aser v'nasata la'levi la'gel yasom v'la'amanav v'achlu b'sharecha v'saveyu. When you finish taking the ma'aser, the tithe of your produce, in what year? The third year, the year of the tithe. Then you give the levi, you give the ger, the yasom, the almana, all the people who need, v'achlu b'sharecha v'saveyu. And now you can eat in your city and be satisfied. What are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? The laws of produce tithing operate in a seven-year cycle, a 50-year cycle, a seven-year cycle, a three-year cycle. All are true. What do I mean? What do I mean? In years one and two, the farmer harvests their produce. The miser rishon, the first miser they take, 10%, goes to the levy. During the first and second year, they take another miser called miser sheni, Maeser Sheini has a Kedusha, a sanctity, that it has to be taken to Yerushalayim and can only be consumed there. If the farmer lives at a great distance, is not planning a trip in the near future, the farmer can redeem the Kedusha, can transfer the sanctity of the produce onto a coin, bring the coin to Yerushalayim at a later date, redeem it back onto food which is consumed in Yerushalayim. That's called Maeser Sheini. In the third year, Maeser Rishon is taken every year. But in the third year and the sixth year, rather than Maeser Sheni, instead what's taken is Maeser Ani, the tithe that's given to the poor person. So this is repeated each three years. All years Maeser Rishon is taken, Truma is taken, and then you also uh, take Maeser Sheni in years one and two, year three you take Maeser Ani, then year four and five you take Maeser Sheni, year six you take Maeser Ani, year seven is a Shemitah year, where there is no miser, and then you start the cycle over again. After the, in the third year, right, by the day before Pesach, of the year after each three-year cycle, so the owner has to make sure that they, in fact, it's like you have to go through your taxes. Did you pay your taxes? So you review. All your taxes have to be in by that time. And then on the last day of Pesach, of the fourth and seventh years, which are the year after the three-year cycles, then the farmer recites this passage. Okay? You understand? It's a little confusing. Basically, there's a cycle. The farmer has to designate and allocate all the tithing properly. After year three and year six, it's a three-year cycle. So after year three and year six, namely year four and year seven, the farmer ensures that they've, designated, they've allocated everything properly, and then they recite the passage that we are, that we are reading. It also applies to Netaravai. Netaravai means that when you grow fruit for the first time from a tree, the first three years is Orla. You can't consume it. It's Asabana. You can't benefit from it. Year four is Netaravai. You have to redeem that first fruit. And then the coin or the fruit are cast away. It's a whole Dalach of Netaravai. Okay. That's included in the confession here too. So the Torah says that... Now read the Pasuk again. When you finish, when you finish it, 
In the third year, the year of the tithe, you give it to the Levi, you designate it all properly. And now, in year four and year seven, you make this recitation. You say, I have removed the holy things from my house. I gave it to the proper address according to what you told me. I've not violated any of your mitzvos. I haven't forgotten anything. I haven't eaten anything when I was a mourner. I didn't consume it when I was impure. I didn't have any benefit from it, like giving it to someone who's dead. God, I listened to your voice. I did everything exactly like you told me. Look down from me from above Hashem. And bless the Jewish people. And this land that produced for me all that produce that I tithed. Like you promised our forefathers. That is the section. Let's go back and start with Rashi. 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 When you finish separating the Meister of the third year, Establish the time for burning whatever was left over and reciting the Vidoy on Erev Pesach of the fourth year. As it says, Rashi's way of telling you it's not Sukkot like Hakel it's, pe- it's uh, Erev Pesach and Motzei Pesach that's when this is recited next Rashi we'll skip the next Rashi Pasuk Yigimov Yamartov Nei Hashem Lokecha Hisvadei Shenasata Maasra Secha recite Vidur Vidui that you have given the Maaseha what does Rashi call this? Rashi is referring to this as Hisvadei. Hisvadei is Vidui. It's not a trick question. Rashi is calling it Vidui. Did the Torah call it Vidui? Look again from Pasuk Yedbeis through Pasuk Tezvav. Did the Torah ever refer to this section, this recitation as Vidui? What does Vidui mean? Confession. Did the Torah call it a confession? No. Why does Rashi call it a confession? Why does Rashi call it a confession? Because the Mishnah and Sota and Daflamid Beis calls this recitation Vidoy Meiser. This is the confession that you've tithed. Confession of the Meiser. So Rashi says, There's a mitzvah when you've completed the Meiser to recite a Vidoy. Which is exactly what we're going to study momentarily. What makes this a very unusual confession? Come on, people. Wake up. What makes this an unusual confession? Let me walk you through this. What normally do you say when you're confessing? You did something wrong. And what is this confession? I did everything right. Good. Baruch Hashem, you're still with me. What kind of confession is this? I confess I owe you money. I confess I spoke Lashon about you. I confess I violated your trust. I confess I ate non-kosher to the Rebbeinu Shalom. 
Imagine I walk up to you and, I say, and you say to me, look, I want to talk to you about something. I say, well, first I have to make a confession. I have to tell you, I have to make a confession. My confession is I'm perfect. My confession is I listened to everything you told me to do. I have not neglected anything. I did everything exactly the way you asked me to. And my confession is I'm perfect. What kind of confession is that? Why do Chazal call this vidui meiser? Rashi says, Mishvadei shenasata ma'asrosecha. Lo avarti mimitvosecha, lo shachachti. On and on and on. I didn't do this wrong, I didn't do that wrong. I did this right, I did everything right. I'm perfect. That's my confession. What kind of confession is that? Come back to that in a moment. Let's keep going in Rashi. Biarti akodesh menabayas that meiser sheni v'netaravai. This is talking about Maiser Sheni because from the home, Veneta Ravai gets destroyed. Velametcha Shimsha Masrosam Shushte Shana Velohelam Yushalayim Tzarech Lalosam Achshav. Two years go by and you did not bring the Maiser Sheni as you were supposed to to Yushalayim Veneta Ravai. You bring it now. The Gavin Sativ La Levi is a Maiser Rishon. The Levi receives Maiser Rishon. Why does Levi get Maiser Rishon? Levi gets a free ride. Every farmer is giving ten percent of their income to the Levi. Wow. Why does the Levi get that? Because the Levi doesn't get land. Because all the other tribes are given designated territory in Israel. It was an agricultural society. The income came from farming. Levi were Davka not given land. Why were Levi not given land? They were given cities within the territories of everyone else. Because as I've said many times, they were the original community Kolo. They were designated to learn, to teach, to inspire, to be the role models of the people. You can't do that at a distance. You do that from being integrated within the people. Ah, if you're not given land, how do you support yourself? Community Kolo. You learn and teach, we'll take care of you. We'll support, we'll provide for you. Levi was supported and provided for a Torah mandate through Maiserishon. Why are we referring to the Ger, the widow, the orphan? They're the recipients of... In the third year and the sixth year, Maeser Ani. Kechol mitzvoscha, I gave everything in order, says the farmer. I didn't do the truma before the Bikurim, or the Maeser before the truma, or the Sheni before the Rishon. Truma is called Rishis, she Rishonah, Mishid Nasa Dagan, and so on. Lo avarti mi mitzvoscha, lo efrashti mi mena mino. I didn't violate your rules. I separated properly from the right category, from the right timing, the right age. Oh, Rashi says, I have also not forgotten What did he not neglect? To say a... To say a bracha. To say a bracha. So if you look at the Sifsei Chachamim here, the super commentary on Rashi, Zog the Sifsei Chachamim, Kosov... I didn't neglect to praise you and to bless you, God, while I was separating the maestros. Why is it so significant to praise God and bless God while you're separating maestros? Because you might have been cursing God. Oh, I'm separating 10%. I got to give away. God, I worked so hard for this. Are you kidding me? I have to give away. What did he do to deserve this? Why am I supporting him on welfare, this levy? This is mine. I worked hard for it. No. You praise God. You bless God. You're grateful with joy, with simcha. You separate it. But continues the Sifsei Chachamim. Volomi levarach birchas afrashas maizos. Shu nusach abrochas shtiknar shekinet sagadola. Shabrochas al mitzvos eno elamidur abonon. Says the Sifsei Chachamim. When Rashi says you're giving a bracha to God when you separate maizer, he's not talking about the bracha you do on a mitzvah. 
Alt Kishol, Lishmoko Shofar, Antilas Lulav, Ladigne Shalchanaka, Laniach Tvilin. No, those are Dirabonon. And here Rashi is talking about the Pasuk. Lo Shachachti. I didn't. So says the Sifsechacham, it must be Rashi's referring not to the Birchasan Mitzvah, but to the general idea that you're blessing God, you're praising God while you're separating the mice. You're doing it with the right attitude, you're doing it with a good attitude. Rabbi Maskowitz mentioned last night, Ravasha Weiss and his Minchasasher as a whole essay that some actually see from this Rashi, from this Pasuk, that Birchas HaMitzvah Sarmi Daraisa. And the fact that the farmer says, Velo Shachachti, I didn't neglect, I didn't forget to make the Baracha. You see, maybe Birchas, Baracha, so we pass in the Darabonan, like the Sifzli Chachamim is saying. But Rav Asher Weiss quotes numerous Makoros, many sources, to suggest it's possible that saying a Baracha before the Mitzvah itself is Daraisa. So let's keep going. Lo Achalti Imenu, Mikan Sha'asur Onain. Who's an Onain? When you lose a loved one, one of the seven immediate relatives, mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse, one of the seven immediate relatives, in between death and burial, one is in the status of Aninus. One is in the status of Aninus. It has biblical connotations in terms of not eating kachim. Today we don't eat meat or wine when you're an Onain. Um, but you're also forbidden from doing mitzvahs. The Onain doesn't daven, doesn't say brachos. The Onain cannot do, it's Machalikas Rashi Tosas, Moed Kadan, we paskin. The Onain is forbidden from doing positive commandments. So Loachalti Be'onimimeno means an Onain is forbidden from eating. And that's what the uh, farmer is uh, confessing. I didn't eat it while I was an Onain. Velo Be'artimeno Be'tamei. Ben Shani Tamei, Vuhutar, Ben Shani Tar, Vuhutamei. Whether I was impure and the produce was pure, whether I was pure and the produce was impure, I never ate it the wrong way in the wrong state. Nor did I take it to give it to a dead person. I didn't get benefit from it. I brought it all to the base of Mikdash as I was instructed. What was it that God instructed to be joyous? I was so happy. We invoke Hashem. We did what you asked God. We did what we were supposed to do. Now you do what you're supposed to do. And what is it you're supposed to do? You promised. You said that if we do what we're supposed to do, you'll make it rain. Either literally or the stock market go up. However you make it rain, you'll make it rain. We did our part. Now you do your part, says the, says the farmer. Almost done. Rashi, and bless the land like you did for our forefathers. You fulfilled, you made good on the promise that the land would produce in this beautiful way. That's why we're here celebrating all of this. Okay, that's Rashi walking us through the technicalities of the mitzvah. Let's see some of the other mafushim. Says the Rashpam, Pasukid Gimel. Right, the key question, what I really want to study with you is, why is this called Meiser? What kind of bizarre confession is this? This is not a confession. So, says the Rashba, before we go to that, let's just see some other technical things. The Ibn Ezra says, the farmer declares, I didn't use a lamace, I didn't make the shrouds, or I didn't make the coffin out of this. Says the Ibn Ezra, that doesn't make sense. Why in the world would you be using this for a mace? Rather, Yeshomim la'avodah zara. Lemes doesn't mean literally a corpse. It means I didn't misdirect to 
idolatry. To idolatry. Um, okay. Now let's go back. Says the Rashbam, the Amart of the Nashem Lokacha, Kartsiva Kodesh Borhu Kitishalo Yomar Adam Laakiv Masrosov, Kavushla Shakil of Nekodesh Borhu. Person shouldn't, if you know that you have to declare that you did everything right, you're not going to want to lie to God who will know better, so it will ensure you that you did it right. Say to your child, Did you do all your homework today? Yes, say, I want you to tell me I did all my homework today. Because you want them to say it, because they're hopefully they're not going to want to lie. Okay, one thing I didn't get to, fine. Kosh Baruch Hu obligates us to recite this statement, because hopefully in our fidelity to the truth, we'll make sure to actually bring everything and do everything the right way. Look at the Kliyakar, Hashkifa Mimon Kachacha, says the Kliyakar, Pasuk Tezvav, Vishama Lamala Sisi we already said we're going to do it the right way. And Perish Rashi, Rashi explained, Simachti, said Rashi, Samachti, Vesimachti Bo. Akin, Ashkivim Monkachachal, Kamashan Omer Shasimcha Bimono, Umisham Tachzor Utisamchenu. Not only was I happy, I caused others to be happy. And that Hashem should invoke you wanting me to be happier. Hashem shower with blessing, because not only was I happy, I made others happy. When does Hashem want to show kindness to us? When we show kindness to others. Hashem, this is a big theme for the Yom Noraim, for the month of Elul. Hashem interacts with us Directly based on the way we interact with others. If we're mavir alamidos, if we are forgiving and forbearing, then Hashem is that way with us. But if we bear a grudge, then Hashem bears a grudge with us. If we have selective memory and let things go, Hashem has selective memory with us. And if we have a perfect memory of every slight and hurt that people have done, Hashem has that with us. So says the Kliyakar, Hashem does chesed with those who do chesed with his other children. The Maiser, Bechlal chesed. Giving Maiser is a chesed. We don't finish taking the lulav and esrog and say, Hashem, I took your lulav and esrog, make the stock market go up. We don't light the Hanukkah candles, put on tefillin. We don't do other mitzvahs, blow the shofar and say, Hashem, I did the mitzvah properly. Now, make it rain. Why do we do it specifically here? Says the Kliyakar, because this is a mitzvah of chesed. You give Maiser to the Ger, Yasom Va'amana, you're taking care of the Levi. You're taking some of what you have and sharing it with others. Say, Hashem, I took what you gave me to share with others. Give me more and I'll share it with others again. If we prove to Hashem that we are good stewards of His money, that His investment in us gives Him a good return vis-a-vis His children, He'll give us more. So says the Kliyakar, it's Davka, this mitzvah of Maiser, which is an act of Chesed, that we ask Hashem to show chesed to us. Treat us the way we treated your other children. Moreover, I didn't overlook your mitzvah. I didn't neglect your mitzvah. I did it all exactly properly. 
and therefore you should treat me the same way as well. Okay. Lastly, what's with the vidui? Hopefully I've built up enough suspense it's bothering you like crazy. Why is this called vidui? It's not just Meister which is called vidui here. The Rambam, in an introduction to the mitzvah of Bikurim, the Rambam writes, Mitzvah saseh lehizvados b'mikdash ala Bikurim. Right, what we began the shir with this morning, the farmer brings that first fruit, and he says, you know, Lavan tried to kill uh, my father Yaakov, and he took us out of Egypt, and that whole statement, the Rambam describes it as, the Rambam's introduction to Hilchus Bikurim writes, Mitzvah saseh lehizvados b'mikdash ala Bikurim. That's a vidui? Where's the vidui too? If I tell you about Jewish history, that's vidui? That's not vidui, that's history. Where's the vidui? Where's the vidui? So the Rambam calls Mikra Bikurim vidui. Chazal Masechasota call this recitation about the tithes, Meiser, they call it vidui Meiser. Why in the world is it called vidui? So I want to share with you a few of the ideas which are given. A few of the ideas which are given. The Svarno, inside, you can look at the Svarno here. Where should have we been directing our trumos and maestros? Not to the levi. Who should have we been giving it to? The bachor, the firstborn. Why aren't the firstborns the recipient of the maestros? What did they do wrong? The Bukhara were punished. And as a result of their punishment, this position of distinction was transferred from them to the tribe of Levi. So says the Svarno, it's called Vidui because when you are announcing, I've given it to the right address, it brings to mind you're not giving it to the firstborn and to the mistake that they made in the past. Says the Svarno. So that's the first answer of the Svarno. We testify that we did this house cleaning, and why was it necessary? Who should really receive it? The Bechor. In the ideal world, if things were the way they were supposed to be, the Bechor would get it. But the firstborn, rather than the descendants of Aaron, would be the priests. But as a result of the sin of, of the golden calf, everything changed, and we don't have a priest in our own house meaning every home would have had its own Bechor. And you would have given your Maeser to the Bechor in your house. So instead, when you're cleaning your house to give it outside your house, it's reminiscent that the Bechor in your house made that terrible mistake, and that's why it's called Vidoy. The Malbim has a different answer. Says the Malbim, Vidoy doesn't really mean confession. The translation of Vidoy is verification. Vidoy is our expression of making ourselves vulnerable. We want a relationship with Hashem. So we're, we're, we're speaking intimately, directly. It's an open communication. We're making ourselves vulnerable. We're telling Him our innermost secrets, fears, failures, success. If I tell you how much money I make a year, I share with you my tax return, I give you very private information, that's a means of making a connection. When we tell a Kodesh Baruch Hu, here's my, here my here's my income statement. Here's what I made this year. Here's my miser. We are... Now, of course, the Rebona Shalom knows it without my telling him. He's the Rebona Shalom. But my willingness to divulge it to him is an expression of intimacy, of connection. So for the Malbim, Vidoy doesn't mean confession. It means... It means... telling him something very, very private. Connection. It means building a 
building a connection. The um, Rav Pinchas, Rav Shimshon David Pinchas, Rav David Shimshon Pinchas, sorry, has a different, in his uh, Sefer on, on Rosh Hashanah, he says the following, Yesh Lahakshos, Inyan Vidoy, Inyan Vidoy, in Vidoy in general, he asks. On Yom Kippur, we, uh, we recite the Vidoy ten times, all within davening. So, is Vidoy part of tshuva, or is Vidoy part of davening? He asks a series of questions, but he answers them based on this insight having to do with our topic. Similar to the Malbim. Vidui is not about confessing. Vidui is about, is about giving confidential information. It's about connecting. It's about making oneself vulnerable, letting someone, letting someone in. And that's at the root, that's at the core of, of Vidur. But what I want to really share with you is the insight of Rabbi Salavitchik, because I think this is a most magnificent pshat. Says the Rav. Says the Rav. I love this pshat. How is it Vidui? I didn't forget anything. I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything exactly as you told me. And that's my confession to you, is that I was perfect. Says the Rav, that's Vidui. Vidui and Shuvah are two sides of the same coin. At the core of every confession is the acknowledgement, the implicit acknowledgement, you know, I could have gotten it right. If you weren't capable, if you didn't have the capacity to get it right, you don't have to feel bad and you don't have to confess that you got it wrong. Somebody who, Rahman has no legs, doesn't have to confess that they couldn't run the 50 meter dash. They lack the capacity, there's nothing they can do. That's a bad example. If you're deaf, you don't have to confess. I'm making a confession, I wasn't Yotze in the midst of Tkia Shofar. You, who has to confess you weren't Yotzei Tkiyashofer? You're deaf. When you make a confession, what are you saying? I could have done it better. I had the capacity to do it. And I didn't. So says Rabbi Salavechik, when the farmer comes to Hashem and he says, I got this all right. What is he confessing? Just like I got all this right, I could get everything else right. If only I cared enough. If only I tried harder. The confession is not vis-a-vis the harvest, the income, the produce, the miser. The confession is, if I got this right, I could get everything right. If I could stand before you and say, I did this right and the other thing right and I did nothing wrong regarding this, then I could do nothing wrong regarding other things as well. And that too is a form of confession. Vidu is at the core of tshuva. The Ramam counts vidu is the essence of the mitzvah of tshuva. We'll get back to this more when we study the parashiyos to come. Kya mitzvah hazos. This mitzvah, it's not over the sea, it's not in the heavens, it's not inaccessible. The Ramban writes, what's this mitzvah? Vidui. The essence of tshuva is vidui, because what's the essence of saying I'm going to be better? Admitting I can be better. I have the capacity and capability to be better. If we don't believe we can be better, it's an empty promise to say I will be better. At the core of the promise to be better is the belief that we can be better, and that's why vidui is so critical. Have a wonderful day. And a safe day and a beautiful, calm, sunny weekend. Yes. <laughs>